Today's guest is Linda Rouse O'Neill, Vice President of Supply Chain Policy and Executive Branch Relations for HIDA, the Health Industry Distributors Association. Linda joins us to talk about one of the biggest challenges in healthcare today, supply chain constraints. She gives us her takes on how long these constraints will last, what's being done to expedite critical healthcare-related cargo, and more. I'm Liz Bollier. And I'm Teresa Flaherty. And this is HME News in 10 from HME News. Stay with us. This episode of HME News in 10 is sponsored by the HME News Business Summit. If you missed the virtual summit on September 9th and 10th, the sessions are now available as recordings so you can view them whenever, wherever. You'll get access to all seven sessions for only $50. For more information and to purchase, visit www.hmesummit.com. Hi, Linda. Welcome to HME News in 10. Thank you, Liz. Thanks so much for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to be with you today um, and talk to the home medical segment. It's so important to everything that we do in healthcare, but I did want to take just a second and give any of your listeners my one-minute elevator speech on Haida, just in case anyone's not familiar with us and who we represent. But Haida is the Health Industry Distributors Association. We represent medical product distributors across the entire care continuum, so home care and home health agencies, but nursing homes, physician offices, hospitals as well. We've got about 110 members who range from big nationals to smaller independents or family-owned businesses. And we also have a foundation. So what I have been thrilled with, and I know we'll talk a little bit about preparedness, but we've got about 130 manufacturing partners who are part of our HIDA Education Foundation. And that's really helped give us a wonderful perspective on preparedness and supply chain and supply chain resiliency, which I, which I know we'll talk about in a little bit. That is who HIDA is. Yeah, thanks for that context, Linda. I think, you know, these issues have certainly impacted our little niche in the healthcare industry, but a big reason why we wanted you on this podcast and have insight from Haida is because you have such more of an expansive scope on the issue. So again, thanks for joining us today. And I think that the first thing I think we should do is sort of let's set the stage. How did we get here to this current world of, you know, component shortages, freight surcharges, shipping delays? Were these issues prior to the pandemic? Did the pandemic exacerbate them both? Can you talk a little bit about that? That is a $10 million question right there. I'm going to break it up a little bit into pieces. I think we'll, we'll capture everything that, that you were asking. So first, I say, just for background, Hyde has been engaged on preparedness and emergency planning before it was popular, um, as we are super popular right now as a supply chain, but we've been working for years and have a long history of a great partnership with folks at ASPR, the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response, which is part of HHS, as well as, the, which everyone also cares a lot about right now, folks at the Strategic National Stockpile. We've done lots of conversations with them, started talking through from a supply chain perspective on, on where products are made and, and all those sorts of conversations which have really come to the forefront because of, of COVID and the pandemic. We've done a lot of work with natural disasters, but I think to get to your question on shipping and the transportation delays, we've got a lot of experience with natural disasters, but they tend to be short-lived in terms of a supply chain and the ability to recover. And we've, our members have got incredible protocols in place when it comes to, to natural disasters to be able to support their customers. 
And then we learned a lot from Ebola, but Ebola didn't manifest here the way you know COVID has in terms of scope and scale and the elevated demand that we've got for coming up on almost two years now. And it's global, global in nature. And that has really put not only supply chain in the spotlight, but our but our partners in transportation in the spotlight as well. Kind of to your question on that, I think a couple things um, in terms of shipping is, and, and it's not just shipping, it's the rails, it's trucks, we've got sh- truck driver shortages, et cetera. But when you think back to when COVID started and people were locked down, healthcare products were moving, the supply chain you know, responded as best as could, and then people's behavior changed as well. Everybody was ordering things online, so the sheer volume um, that's impacting not just healthcare, but other industries as well, is creating a huge bottleneck in addition to, when you think about COVID, you think about especially our West Coast ports and social distancing and protocols and illnesses with workers, you know, they struggled just like every industry did to balance all that and make sure there were people that are working. So that's really made transportation a healthcare issue at this point um, because there's so much volume. And we've been having some conversations with our with our partners in different agencies that are dealing with transportation on how can we um, expedite healthcare. Healthcare, you know, during a public health emergency is important. It doesn't mean that not every industry being impacted is not important, but I think we can all agree that we need to move those healthcare products in an expedited way as possible. So we've been having some conversations with the White House Supply Chain Disruption Task Force. We've been talking to some folks at the Federal Maritime Commission. And I think there's a lot of positive conversations and recognition on the need to treat healthcare as a critical cargo. Um, and I always kind of try to figure out how we can expedite that in a uniform way across the transportation system. Is there a good example you can point to that would really highlight the severity of the current situation? Sure, I've got a couple stats that I could share um, with listeners and it's, it's a little bit mind boggling to be honest with you. Some of those bottlenecks for shipping even started almost a year ago, and it's honestly predicted to keep going until 2023. This is definitely going to take a while. I think something that's going to be on our radar screen. So when you look at a 40-foot shipping container, two years ago, it cost less than $2,000 to transport that from Asia to the U.S. Today, that can cost up to $25,000. Wow. Um, also, there's, you know, to kind of further paint that picture in terms of the congestion. There's, I'm gonna say currently, but in all honesty, the number of cargo ships goes up in a little bit, so keep this in mind. There's about, say about 70 cargo ships right now waiting off the coast of California to be offloaded, which means you can have things sitting out there for days and weeks before it's able to even get to the ports themselves to be offloaded, much less than wait, be able to be picked up by a truck or get over to the rail for further transport across the country. and that. That number, that 70 number, is up about 30% since last year, which was already going up a little bit because retail was increasing in terms of online shopping. So that paints a picture that we've got quite the backlog, and it's going to take a while for everything to catch up and to untangle. Yeah, those, so those are ama- amazing statistics. You know, so we're, we're 19 months, 18, 19 months into the pandemic, and you know, can you talk a little bit about how have supply chain challenges continued to get worse? Have they improved in some areas? Um, If they've improved, how have distributors sort of pivoted to help make those improvements a reality? Mm -hmm. Talked about Ebola and how that was like, you know, less global and more short-lived. Here we are, this is completely global and it's 19 months. So that we have a long runway here. We're 
we've had to think on our toes, I guess. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. We have had to think on our toes. I'll be honest, I'm really proud of our members. Um, we delivered 51 billion units of personal protective equipment last year. That was about a 1,200% increase in N95 masks alone. And so, you know, there's people, people kind of look back and say, oh, the supply chain wasn't working. I'm like, not true. The supply chain was working. Distributors were delivering. If there was 51 billion units more available, we would have figured out a way to deliver that and get that to our customers. But to your point, it's been 18, you know, 19 months, and it's not just delivering the products, but I think what distributors have really been able to do and show value is working on diversifying sources, just like you know, everybody else is. But we've got some great expertise in vetting those sources and making sure they're legitimate and that they're not brokers just out to make a, a quick dollar. Um, this is something that the fly-by-night folks who came in and really disrupted the market, but distributors have great relationships with suppliers. We know what to look for when bringing on a new supplier so we can augment the product availability that there is. Um, and we can work on, I think a lot of our members are also working on ways and creative partnerships with their customers on increasing inventories as well as identifying substitutions. And I think that's something going forward we'll see more of, but it's things that we did in the heat of the moment during those last 18, 19 months um, with our customers and be able to support them. And what actions is Haida taking to address supply chain challenges and to build a more uh, robust and resilient supply chain? I love this question because I am the Vice President of Government Affairs, so I am all about policy and working with our federal partners in making sure all these lessons learned and things that we've been working on become permanent and that we don't have a short-term memory when it comes to the pandemic. So a few things. If I, you know, I mentioned earlier in the podcast, Haida's history of working with our partners at HHS and the Strategic National Stockpile, we actually work with some of our champions on Capitol Hill who do care about preparedness, a few years ago on the reauthorization of the Pandemic and All Hazard Preparedness Act. And what that does actually is, it has all the authority to reauthorize all your public health programs. It's actually where the Strategic National Stockpile gets its, its authorization from and, and other things. And that bill for the first time had supply chain in it. It never had supply chain provisions in it for, and this is like the third reauthorization that they've done of it. So that was a huge victory, but it was right before COVID. So a lot of those provisions around understanding capacity and working with distributors to identify substitutions didn't get a chance to get off the ground before COVID hit. But what we've been able to do since is build on that even more and some of the lessons that we've got during COVID. And so we worked with members of Congress on the Medical Supplies for Pandemics Act last year. It actually passed the House, did not get through the Senate for final passage, but it has been reintroduced this year. And it has the stockpile work with distributors to manage a cushion so that we aren't in the same situation that we're in now, or we were at the beginning of COVID. It has them work with manufacturers to diversify as well as to increase capacity. And then we pulled together earlier in the summer or late spring our boards and created a thought leaders session with them, which builds on some of our other, we have a thought leader series actually, and we used this one to focus on on COVID, and they really kind of were thinking creatively about reimagining stockpiling and not, you know, thinking beyond those conventional stockpiling, thinking about how do we beef up communication protocols is never good in the middle of a crisis to try to figure out who you need to call when you need product or if you need to partner with someone in the public health arena, and really thinking about that in a more strategic way going forward. If anybody listening wants to learn more about our thought leader series or about the one I just talked about, it is on our website. 
we look at our understanding healthcare distribution page, all of that is posted up there um, and goes into a little bit more detail. Thanks, Linda. How are the experiences of the past 18 plus months shifting the roles that manufacturers, distributors, and providers play in healthcare equipment and service delivery? We've seen and written about a few times about how you know the distributors in our industry are sort of repositioning themselves in, in the wake of the current environment because you know they might be able to provide the providers more options you know if uh -huh. there's a delay with a certain manufacturer you can more easily pivot talk about how you are seeing those shifting roles yeah i think you nailed it i think everybody is positioning and repositioning as they've learned to be a to be a trusted partner i think there's a great opportunity between suppliers and their provider customers to really cement that trusted partner relationship and it's your point Liz distributor use distributors for what they're experts at logistics finding alternative sources managing a cushion rotating that inventory and helping identify those substitutions ahead of time so that this is to happen again you know those those home care providers are going to know that they've already worked with their distributor and if manufacturer a is having issues for whatever you know b and c have already been identified ahead of time already been vetted and one of the things that I think it's traditionally hard, especially with PPE as an example. It's hard to sometimes change brands midstream, right? There's a lot of commitment and trust for something as serious as protection when it comes to, you know, for our healthcare providers. But being able to identify those alternatives ahead of time with your distributor and work on making sure that that's going to be in stock and available if needed, I think is a key opportunity of how things are repositioning. I think people are thinking in a lot more creative ways and how to be better prepared going forward. Linda, you talked about how providers can work with distributors on some of these challenges. How can they also um, change the way they think uh, individually about equipment and service delivery? I think it's the same thing. It's coming back to that trusted partnership. You know, we would hope providers are going to continue to see distributors as a solution, both with whether it's managing that inventory or helping them vet new suppliers. I kind of come back again to those brokers that everybody saw, we all read the horror stories of providers spending millions of dollars on product that never showed up or wasn't what it was supposed to be. And the distributors have expertise in being able to do that. Our members vetted thousands of suppliers and we even came out with some infographics on, on the red flags to look for if, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures, but if the opportunity sounded too good to be true, it generally was. Um, and I think that working together um, again i keep coming back to that partnership i think people are going to value what the supply chain brings to the table what distributors can do and i think that would bring providers to the table in a different way as well when they think forward how they need to be better prepared thanks for joining us linda and stay safe absolutely thank you very much for having me and that's hme news in 10.